Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Storrs, and welcome to Mattsplaining. Today on the episode, I have somebody who is going to talk about their area of expertise. And we've already talked a little bit with somebody else, but expert, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're an expert in. Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. My name is Sean Collins, and I am an expert in performing live puppet theater. Fantastic. My understanding of live puppet theater and puppets in general is a lot of the historical background of it. So for instance, people might remember that Napoleon had his own paper bag puppet and was very friendly with it, was one of his only friends on the island of Elba when he was exiled, becoming one of his general. But puppets go back to at least ancient Greece, especially performance of live puppet theater. And But the argument can be made that anytime there was a light source and shadows could be cast, that shadow puppets likely preceded that so long as there was light and a place to put them up. There's a multitude of types of different puppets mm, yes. and the ways in which they can be manipulated for instance you have small puppets finger puppets shadow puppets those sorts of things all the way to puppets that destroy the financial basis of a broadway show such as king kong (laughs) and one of my favorite things when king kong was around they had a whole group of people that worked on king kong and after the show they all had shirts indicating oh they or on the staff of the puppeteers that control King Kong, and they would go into the subways to go home, and they would just look so tired and dejected. And you're doing something great, but nobody is giving you enough attention. Mm. It was was a delight. (laughs) They had a fun name. My understanding is that you know, so you have this wide range of types of puppets, puppets where it's one person controlling them, there's puppets where there's multiple people controlling them. And then there's also puppets that are autonomous on their own. And most of those are brought to life based on a ritual that is connected to an old ancient Egyptian spell. That ancient Egyptian spell was very pervasive, permeated throughout the world where there was whole communities of puppets living with human beings. But my understanding is that the spell actually had been written down. And in the burning of Alexandria, one of the reasons why the library was burned is because it housed the only copies of this spell. You had to go, Alexandria, ancient Alexandria was known as Puppet City. And so that's part of the reason why it was burned, because they thought these puppets were an abomination. That that makes good emotional sense. I think. Okay. Basically, these there are some of these puppets that remain to this day. They're not, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily recognize them as puppets, but they're some that are used their life for good or ill. So some of the ones that use it for good, such as like the Muppets being, they Mm. typically will bring joy and happiness, but also thousand yard stares when certain songs are sung. They want you to have that emotional (laughs) resonance and like, oh yeah, man, have I made the right choices in my life? Are my friends, are actually my friends? Then you have the more murderous types. That's typically in the marionette style. And those are mostly connected to a Dr. Toulon or Mr. Toulon. I'm not sure about his 
background. I don't know. Can you get a doctorate in puppetry? You probably can. I mean, especially if you're bringing them to life and fighting Nazis with them, you probably yeah, could. Uh, honorary, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Honorary. I mean, you're you're doing. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but part of the way that we won World War II was because of these marionettes, and they did a great job. Not the most famous murderous puppets. Or maybe they are the most famous murderous puppets, but not the most famous puppets, I guess. People tend to gravitate towards the happier puppets, the ones that aren't potentially murderous, and also the ones that typically don't hang out with Corey Feldman, at least in one of the movies. Yeah, so that's basically my understanding of puppetry. Oh, oh yeah, so probably with that, there's live theater aspects of it to bring joy and happiness to people. Yeah, that's basically my understanding of puppetry and live puppet performance. About how much of that would you say was accurate? Some of that was accurate, I would say. I the the idea of puppets having once walked among us is I don't think true, but it certainly suggests the type of world that we aspire to when we watch things like the Muppet movies where humans and puppets coexist. But absolutely to, to have that in real life, I, I could see why people would want to burn such a society to the ground and destroy all traces of it. The puppets fighting in World War II, I think, is a common misconception because of the uh, Puppet Master movies mm-hmm. and possibly due to some popular puppet characters in fiction, such as the ventriloquist from uh, the Batman mythos, the supervillain, the mm-hmm. ventriloquist, who, if you do not know, is a mob boss who carries a ventriloquist doll that is carrying a Tommy gun. If you've ever performed live puppet theater, that being able to actually operate things with your puppet's arm is a very complex. So the idea of you holding something that is itself holding a gun in one hand sort of off to the side, I, I don't think that would work in a combat live fire situation all that well. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the history in terms of how far back puppets go in human history, that's mostly correct. I think they do have reports of puppets from as far back as like 3000 BC in a lot of okay. ancient cultures like Egypt, ancient China, ancient India. You touched on a little bit, a lot of the different types of puppets. I will say marionettes are the most evil type of puppet. Okay. They, I think you are 100% spot on with that. The marionette puppet, of course, is the one that's usually suspended from the top on, I mean, controlled rather from the top on the strings. So usually the operator or puppeteer is above the stage operating that. Uh, Other popular types of puppets are uh, the uh, hand puppets, which come in a various different varieties where the operator puts their hand up inside and typically works the puppet's mouth with their hand. Sometimes there's a rod varieties where the other, the puppet's arm is operated by the operator's other hand on a mm-hmm. stick so they can do it all up over their head. There's also the uh, live hand puppet, which is where the puppeteer puts their other arm into a sleeve that is itself the puppet's other hand and they can operate things with that as well. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, so a lot of that stuff was was mostly accurate. I was not aware that Napoleon had a paper bag puppet on the island he was exiled to. That was I, that could very well be true. I don't know. I would have you to know, look that up. My, my understanding is that it is true and that I, I wasn't completely corrected last time. So I'm choosing to believe that that is true. And it's basically <laughs> how Napoleon always was hiding his hand in his jacket when he didn't have, oh. ac- yeah, when he didn't oh. have access to a jacket, he started bringing around this paper bag and then he's like, hey, why don't I decorate it and he created this paper bag puppet 
I see, I see. So, so not that he was hiding the puppet in his jacket, but rather the puppet became an, an alternative way for him to cover his hand. That, it, exactly. Like, and then okay. it kind of developed from there and developed a personality, became one of his generals. As, as they do. And that's, that's another thing about puppets is just the way they look. And the, the, there's all sorts of different ways they can be made in terms of like their mechanics on the inside, different sizes of mouths, different articulation points that you can build into them. So every puppet does, it's a pairing of, of course, the, the physical puppet itself and then the person who's operating it. But puppets tend to develop very distinctive personalities as a combination of the performer's tendencies as a performer and then just the things the puppet itself is physically capable of, of doing, the behaviors it can do. So that is something that I think Napoleon probably, yeah, it, it starts simple with just a sock on your hand or a paper bag. And then all of a sudden you have a a full-fledged dissociative personality, which sometimes causes you to commit crimes or try to tyrannically rule the country of France. Or, or try and attack Batman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so so a lot of that was very interesting. I, I would say I, I did not know that, but it sounds like it tracks based on my experience with operating puppets. Okay. Uh, so some of the, I, I feel like if there were things that people don't usually know about puppets uh, or at least performing them that I would like them to know, I think a lot of people assume puppeteering is not that hard because they're familiar with the kind of puppets that we all sort of play with when we're young where it's a very simple mm -hmm. sort of you put your hand in it and you work its mouth with your hand there's actually a, a lot of work that goes into operating them to make them seem lifelike to give them distinctive personalities so i just kind of wanted to run down some of the things that a live puppeteer is thinking about to make their performance seamless and make it look so easy to the average viewer absolutely yeah so, that sounds very interesting so there's a lot of focus that has to go into the way the puppet looks and interacts with the audience. A big thing is the audience needs to be able to see the puppet's eyes at basically all times. As soon as the audience loses sight of the puppet's eyes, it breaks that connection. So typically you will not see puppets turn their backs to the audience unless it's for something very specific. And then when puppets look at other things on stage where a human actor might physically turn their body to the side to look at what they're looking, the puppet is always mostly facing the audience and it's only a tilt of its head where one side of its head will sort of point downwards at the tip of the stage, the front of the mm -hmm. stage, call that a downstage ear. And it's okay. a way of keeping both eyes mostly visible to the audience while also showing that the puppet is looking off at the, something off to the side. Done correctly, it makes the puppet have clear eye line with whatever it's looking at while keeping that interaction with the audience. Another important thing is making sure that the puppet is always animated in some way because of course they are just typically felt on a person's hand if they stop moving if they become still it again breaks the suspension of disbelief it loses that connection as a character so a puppeteer will always be even if their puppet is not the focus on the stage or in the scene a good puppeteer will always have their puppet moving with slight nods of the head adjusting of clothes coughing sighing looking around reacting to what's going on we never want the puppet to just be still and staring off because at that point we would call that a dead puppet and again breaks the, the connection with the audience. Right. I would another thing is, and I didn't really think about this myself till I got into it, but once you get into it, it makes perfect sense. Very physically demanding to puppeteer because there's various ways of doing it. The way that I mostly do it is we are standing on stage. We are totally covered in black. So we have like blackout masks, black clothing. 
And then we're holding the puppet at our side. So the audience pays attention to the puppet rather than to us. Similar to like ventriloquism, but gives us a little bit more freedom of movement. Having your arm out off to the side like that, of course, can be very taxing. And then because your other arm, which usually is the puppet's other arm, is sort of held out at an awkward angle, that of course gets very taxing, especially when you have to hold things or point things or do things with that arm. An even harder, more physically demanding form of puppeteering, which I do not do as much, is over-the-head puppeteering. So this is what you would see with like most Jim Henson projects like the Muppet Sesame Street, where the puppeteer is beneath the puppet, holding it straight up over its, their head. Doing that, of course, for, I mean, just anyone can try this at home. Put your hand or your arm straight up above your head and see how long you can hold it there. And then imagine you have something that might weigh up to 15, 20 pounds in your hand while you're doing that. And you can see it very, very quickly wears your arm out. Yeah. Grab a gallon of milk and lift that over your head and try and move it around for a bit and see how long you can do it. Yeah. Very, very difficult. So uh, I'm not very good at that, but the people who are um, mad respect to them, I would not want to shake their hand. I'm sure they have very powerful grips. <laughs> oh yeah. They'd, they'd crush your hands. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing I would say, and this is again, something that takes people, this is probably the thing that takes people the most to time to get the hang of is when you talk with the puppet, there are certain rules that you want to follow. You want the puppet's mouth to open typically once for every syllable that you're saying. So if you mm -hmm. say, for instance, a three syllable word, that's three distinctive open and closes of the puppet's mouth. Right. But there's an exception to this rule. If the puppet is talking a lot very fast, if you try to hit every syllable that way, all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. The audience can't follow it. So we only follow that once per syllable rule if the puppet is maybe saying one or two things or is talking typically more slowly. Mm -hmm. If the puppet starts to talk faster, we then switch to one syllable per word, no matter okay. how many syllables the word might be. You go one. I mean, it's a really long syllable word. You might hit it twice, but typically once, once open and closed per word. And then when you get to the end of what the puppet is saying, that final word, you hit all the syllables. And if you do it that way, it makes it look like the puppet was talking, opening its mouth and closing its mouth very naturally the whole time. From, really a, smart. from a performing standpoint, though, it means you're constantly in your head switching between one syllable per word. And then I got to remember when I hit that final word, I got to hit it, all the syllables in it. And being able to do that consistently while also thinking about maintaining the puppet's eye line, making sure they're looking at the audience, keeping them alive and animated and holding this object out off to the side of you or up over your head. It's a lot of things to have to keep track of. And then, of course, typically you're trying to remember dialogue, like memorized lines or choreography. So it's a lot to keep track of. Of course, no disrespect to anyone who does live theater. Live theater is always extremely challenging and very, very difficult to do well. But uh, puppeteering, there's a lot that a performer needs to be doing at the same time, the whole time they're performing. And uh, I think a lot of people don't always realize how much there is. That sounds like so much to have to consider. Feels like it needs to get kind of ingrained in you and mm. become like kind of second nature whenever you can do it. That's, I, I did not know that. That is absolutely fascinating. If people wanted to learn more about you or more about puppetry or see some live puppet theater, where would you recommend or what, what information could you provide? Well, there are, if you are interested in performing puppetry and learning some of the ins and the outs of that, there are a number of like puppet tutorial videos that are available like on YouTube that will teach or talk about the things that I talked about, like eyeline, opening and closing of mouths, keeping them alive. If they're interested in the type of my 
puppet shows specifically. I work with a group called All Puppet Players. We do puppet show versions of usually of like popular movies from like the 80s and 90s. Just recently, we did Jurassic Park, but with puppets. We had a 13-foot Tyrannosaurus Rex puppet in that one as well. We just closed Friday the 13th, the parody musical, a puppet show version and homage and honoring of the Friday the 13th film. Coming up in just after Thanksgiving, we open the day after Thanksgiving of this year, and we run up to uh, the end of December. We're doing Die Hard, A Christmas Story, a puppet show version of Die Hard that also incorporates elements of a Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That's a very popular show. We've done that now, I think, six years running. Always sells really well, but that's one you'll want to get tickets to early if you'd like to see that one. Very, very funny. Great night out on that one. Speaking as somebody who has seen both Jurassic Park and now Die Hard, A Christmas Musical, multiple times, I can completely co-sign on that. It's one of the best experiences. Whenever I visit and it links up, I try to go. So definitely recommend that. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on. It was really fun. Excellent. Thank you. My name is Matt Stores, and this has been Matt Splaining.